God. Good morning. Not that I haven't said hi to everybody already anyways, but okay, focusing. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? Acts 11. Who was I that I could withstand God? Now there's a fight I know way too much about. Wrestling with the Holy Spirit. If you're serious about following the Lord, and especially if you've been baptized with the Holy Spirit, be prepared for a lot of inner turmoil, as the flesh is almost nearly always at odds with the spirit. The Holy, before the Holy Spirit moved in, the flesh just ran the show. Ah, the good old days. Not really. Those days were ma marked by emptiness and anxiety. Allowing the spirit to come in and give me new life through Jesus Christ, and then the power to overcome the flesh, perhaps just change the nature of the struggle, but it's still a struggle, but at least now I'm on the winning side. And I still ask, as does our title verse, who am I that I can withstand God? Those are the words of Peter as he relates his dramatic testimony of what he saw the Holy Spirit do amongst the Gentiles as he preached the word of God to them. Reminds me of something we read just recently a few chapters back, something that jumped out at me then and has continued to be in the back of my mind as I struggle with what, Lord, am I to do? Am I doing your will for my life? Am I where I'm supposed to be doing it? And what I'm supposed to be doing, am I on the right road, or did I miss a turn somewhere and just wander off aimlessly? The saying I'm referring to comes in the words of Jesus to Paul in that infamous little visit on the road where he waylays him with a blinding light and changes his path, and that is, it's hard to kick against the goats. When everything seems to be difficult, or more of a challenge than it should be, and it seems you're just getting bruised and bloodied for your efforts, it certainly makes you wonder if you're kicking against the goats. And we all struggle with that from time to time in our walk with the Lord, at least if you care enough about following the Lord to keep pushing on in pursuit of Him and working to advance His kingdom with or through His bride, the church. The church who can either hurt or hinder you depending on who's prevailing in their struggle with the flesh or the spirit. A big part of the challenge is knowing who is holding the goat that you're getting stuck with. Is it the enemy or the world? The weakness of the flesh who has spoken at you with that sharp metal tipped oxen poker to prevent you from following? Or is it Jesus trying to get you to change course and head in the right direction? Are we standing against evil or are we withstanding God? You'd think it would be obvious, but it's not. It's hard to know at times. Whenever I feel like there needs to be a change of course in my own life or an attitude or perception adjustment, I'm careful not to move too quickly unless it is a clear and eminent word from the Lord or prompting from the Holy Spirit because there are ways to know. And sometimes it just means a need of rest, a reminder, or refreshing. Either way, patience always pays, plays a big role. Wait on the Lord. Don't we all hate that? Okay, I'm waiting on the Lord. I don't think the Lord wears a watch. Do you ever notice that? <laughs> it's good all the time in the world. But then some. But the Apostle Peter is in this place. As was much of the church at the time as they wrestled with still again 
What do we do with all these unclean heathens that seem to keep wanting to follow our Lord, yet don't have a clue about the law on Moses? They're still stuck in this religious rut of rituals and rules, restrictions and resentments. They had to get circumcised, and they resented anyone who didn't. Their religion rules forbade them from going to and sharing the gospel with the Gentiles, and, and this left them in bondage and in danger of rejecting grace themselves. They were not fulfilling the great commission given to them by Jesus, and they were fighting against the Holy Spirit as a result, who kept prompting them to go to the Gentiles, to change their way of thinking their habits and to change the direction they're headed. And the misdirection that would lead to their undoing if they continued in the stubbornness would be that they would continue to walk the thin line of righteousness by the law while claiming salvation in Jesus. They weren't paying attention. They weren't paying attention to what Jesus was telling them, what he was reminding them of what he had said. They weren't remembering the word. They weren't heeding the promptings, and they weren't seeing with their eyes and hearing with their ears or understanding with their hearts what the Lord was doing in and around them. They were still in the flesh. But they were learning, and the Lord just kept working on them. He kept goading and reminding and demonstrating and speaking by his spirit and through his people. We're going to read from chapter 11 here in a couple minutes, if you want to turn there. And the story here picks up in chapter 11 at the church back in Jerusalem to where Peter and a handful who had gone with him to Joppa have returned, back where the apostles are still basing their Sells from, in spite of all the persecutions that have sent many fleeing Jerusalem. But Peter is about to experience some persecutions of his own by his fellow Jewish believers. Apparently, word of his little dinner party with the filthy and circumcised Roman Cornelius and his family has gotten back to the church. His church in Jerusalem and those who thought they were somebody special because they had certain body parts removed, something they had no input in in the first place, it was just done to them. And they jumped all over Peter for hanging out with those who did not have those same parts altered. And Peter would later, later say, hey, circumcision is all over the Bible, people. Get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> people would later say rather graphically of those who thought this way that he wished they would mutilate themselves. But if I, brethren, still preach circumcision, why am I still persecuted? In that case, the stumbling block of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would mutilate themselves. For you are called to freedom, brethren, only don't use your freedom as an opportunity of, for the flesh, but through love be servants of one another. So Paul was one of the first to recognize how dangerous it was to try to earn your salvation despite the grace being offered. Those who put their hope in religion that only alters the flesh but not the heart empty the cross of its power and make it unnecessary. So then what was the point of Jesus dying on it? There would be none. But stubborn men just can't let go of controlling their own destiny and taking credit for their own righteousness. How can you be better than anyone else if, if we're all equal at the foot of the cross by virtue of the blood of Christ? We can't be having that. Let me tell you, Peter, they're saying, how it's supposed to be. And that was the attitude that confronted him when he got back to his home church. But in the end, Peter sets them straight. And shuts them up. Because Peter finally remembers the word of God. And he has an incredible testimony to back it up. He says, no, you guys listen. Let me tell you how it is. Verse 1, chapter 11. Now the apostles and the brethren who were in Judea heard that the Gentiles 
had also received the word of God. And when Peter came up to Jerusalem, those of the circumcision contended with him, saying, You went to the uncircumcised and ate with them? But Peter explained it to them in order from the beginning, saying, I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw this vision, and an object descending like a great sheet, let down from heaven by four corners, and it came to me. When I observed it intently and considered, I saw four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things, and birds of the air. And I heard a voice saying to me, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, Not so, Lord, for nothing common or unclean has at any time entered my mouth. But the voice answered for me again from heaven, What God has cleansed, you must not call common. Now this was done three times, and we're all drawn again up into heaven. And, and we're all, all were drawn up again into heaven. At that moment, three men stood before the house where I was, having been sent to me from Caesarea. Then the Spirit told me to go with them, doubting nothing. Moreover, these six brethren accompanied me, and we entered the man's house. And he told us how he'd seen an angel standing in his house, who said to him, Send men to Joppa, and call for Simon, whose surname is Peter, who will tell you words by which you and your household will be saved. And as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us, when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. We'll stop there. So Peter sounds to me like he's a little defensive there towards the end of his tale. It wasn't my fault. The Lord made me go. <laughs> and the Holy Spirit just did this thing. And I remember the words of Jesus. And these six other Jewish guys were with me too. Who was I that I could withstand God? I mean, come on. Well, Peter, it happens all the time. People withstanding God. People kicking against the goads. So take some credit here for being obedient. Not apologetic, because someone disagrees with what you see as an undeniable act of the Spirit, the move of God. I only read this into this here because we see later on in the book of Acts coming up where Peter gets sucked back into that mindset of the Gentile bad law-abiding law Jews good thing. And ha Paul has to come along and get in his face for this flip-flopping. I voted for grace for the Gentile believers before I voted against it. It's a John Kerry reference in case you didn't get it. A few election cycles back. You can't play both sides. You gotta, you gotta stick with one side or the other. We can't keep apologizing or downplaying what the Lord is doing, saying, and showing us as we follow him and seek him in his ways. And this downplaying of the things of the Spirit, of the seriousness of unrepented sin, the cost of our salvation to the Lord and the power of the cross, the reality of the healing and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, we can't deny the Holy Spirit. We must not. We must not apologize or downplay the works of God in our lives and in of those around us. To do so is to take credit for what he's doing and to weaken the faith of others who need to know that God is alive and well and active in our day-to-day. -day. We do not have a religion of pen penitence and ritual just to give us a way to prove that we believe in a faraway God who sees and hears us, maybe, who keeps a tally to see if we'll be worthy to get in when we show up at his gate. And our Bibles aren't just history books of things our God once did way back when, when he was still active. 
Our God is alive. Jesus is alive. His spirit is here and it's ready and willing to do what we'll allow him to do or have the faith for him to do. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It says everything right there. And the only reason we might back off from that, why we think we need to just talk vague and fuzzy notions of a feel-good religion and a God who loves us and is just waiting to bless us with sunshine and roses if we'll only sing the right songs, bring tater tot casseroles to the church potluck, and not say anything offensive or confrontational in any way, shape, or form is because of the members of the circumcision party in our own lives. I wouldn't want them to think us weird or radical, disrespectful or out there. God doesn't talk to us. We don't see visions today. The Holy Spirit doesn't fall on people just because they heard a word of God preached. The Holy Spirit doesn't remind us of things the Lord said. And don't you dare go to the houses of the unclean and try to tell them about our religion without our approval and this list of rules. Too many believers who are willing and able to share the gospel have been sidelined or discouraged because someone in authority told them or taught them that they weren't ready or qualified. You must be screened, trained, and monitored. So Peter went up to Jerusalem. Apparently I didn't change yet. I'm going to read to you from the Revised Standard Version. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. That's where I get the circumcision party. That's a more literal translation. It's not a party you necessarily might want to go to. <laughs> Saying, why did you go to the uncircumcised men and eat? But Peter began to explain to them in order. I was in the city of Joppa praying, and in a trance I saw a vision. Imagine saying that right there in most church or Christian circles. I was in a trance, and I saw a vision. Yeah, I was in this trance, and I saw this vision. The accusations, the mumblings, the whispers, the letters afterwards. I know I've gotten them. You must be imagining things. A vision, a trance, God doesn't do that. You must be doing yoga or taking drugs. It's of the devil, it's witchcraft. Were you meditating? That's opening yourself up to the devil, you know. Honey, we're finding a new church. We'll pray for you from a distance, of course. And that's just from Christians. It's hard to be spirit, a spirit-led Christian in the American church culture that only wants to be spoon-fed spoon-fed platitudes and given short-term service opportunities so they can feel good about how they serve the Lord. Meanwhile, the world is actually looking at us and saying, why? Why are they all wasting their time? And buying all that Jesus is the way nonsense. Where's the power to change lives that I used to hear about? Where's the miracles and personal encounters with God? I want something real. I want to know who and what God is and that I'm not alone in this world, and that's a short life of futility and pain isn't all there is. Otherwise, I'm just going to grab all I can while I can, and church be damned. And the circumcision power to feigns outrage at just what I said. And then when they're driving home, they cuss the blue streak under their breath at the driver who cut them off on the way to Perkins, where they're going to be rude to the waitress because she gave them the wrong syrup for their pancakes. And we wonder why we have to keep apologizing for and defending Christianity. 
the cross has been emptied of its power. And the Holy Spirit's been hidden under our hats. We have to stop letting ourselves be silenced by the world and by the weak-kneed believers of the world. God will always find a way. He always preserves a remnant who will obey. And I keep praying that I, that we, will be among that remnant. The circumcision party cannot win. The enemy must not be allowed to silence us or tramp, tamp us down. And that's what Peter's facing here. But God is still using that remnant in his day to do his work. Even as Peter is arguing in the church back home at Jerusalem, God is going others into speaking truth and ministering in his power. As he's in Jerusalem defending what the Holy Spirit did in the home of the Romans to the circumcision stick in the muds, a group of believers who fled Jerusalem and found themselves in Antioch decided, hey, maybe it's time to start talking to the Gentiles. Verse 19. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephan traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. But then some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene. Maybe we should talk to some of those people who speak Greek like us, who when they came to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So the Lord was not waiting for the officially recognized apostolic church in Jerusalem to get on with the Great Commission. He was on the move and using those who were willing and unhindered by religious shackles and accepted tradition. And people were getting saved. In the name of Jesus and his saving grace and power to bring life would spread like wildfire. And they stood out among their Greek Gentile neighbors as those who followed what the Jews called the Messiah, a Christ in their language which really meant nothing to them. Anointed one, Christ, Messiah, anointed, whatever. Until they understood that he was their savior. The Western world had just met the God of Abraham, and he was now their God. Jesus was the one they had been looking for, the one who would save them from a life of meaningless futility, offer healing and deliverance from any number of ills and ails, and most important of all, assure them that they would continue on after their flesh ceased to be, which was always way too soon. Here was something, someone real. And the changed lives and the countenances of these radical Christ people was startlingly, startlingly obvious and undeniable. And the rest of the church started to take notice as well. For a whole year they met with the church the people who finally came to them from Jerusalem, and taught a large company of people. And in Antioch, the disciples were for the first time called Christians. And in these days, the prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Thus the term Christian is coined. Not by the church, but by the people outside who looked in and saw this group of people who looked, talked, and acted in ways that were different and strange to them. They stood out, and they couldn't talk, stop talking about this Christ. The church in Jerusalem couldn't deny or doubt that salvation and the Holy Spirit was being offered to the Gentiles any longer. So they would send Barnabas, who would end up sending for Paul. Hey, there's something going on here. I need some help, buddy. You were called to the Gentiles, right? Well, here you go. So they would spend a year there discipling this new phenomenon, believers in Jesus Christ, 
who didn't know or adhere to the law of Moses. Spirit-filled, on-fire believers and their Messiah, who had a relationship with the God who had previously dealt in a stone temple or in the occasional prophet, like, what's going on here? God is going on here. Jesus is going on here. He is Lord of all. And the Holy Spirit shows no partiality, and he fills all who believe and will receive. It's an irresistible move of God. And the religious and elites can't stop it. And notice what else happens there that those of today's circumcision party might take an issue with. Prophets came down from Jerusalem. The head church in the holy city came to Antioch to share with them what the Holy Spirit had to tell them. Warnings of a famine and instructions to prepare for it. How many believers today would take issue if a group of prophets from Angelus Temple, say, the founding church of the Foursquare movement, came here and started sharing with us words from the Holy Spirit of hard things to come and warning us to be ready, giving us a chance to prepare? A lot of people would think that was pretty weird and inappropriate. Some people would want to hear. But that would seem strange to most. Well, why was this all okay back then, but not today? Well, the book is closed. The spirit is silent. And we're just waiting for the next chapter to come to pass. The one where Jesus comes back and we all fly away, oh glory. The circumcision party is alive and well. I think they're right out the back door here. But like it or not, believe it or not, God is still speaking and he still has things to say to warn us of and prepare us for and to encourage us in him. Well, I've been doing that for the last year or so especially. Speaking words to you on behalf of the Spirit, words of warning and challenge, and look around you. People aren't flocking here to hear hard things. They just want fluff and stuff so they can go away contented. forgetting the sermon before they even get home. I'm sorry, but God keeps goading me to share the hard stuff that I know will not make me real popular. But I love God's people and him too much to not share truth. Amen. And who am I to resist God? And in these days, prophets came from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and showed them by the Spirit that there was going to be a great famine throughout the land, throughout all the world, which also happened in the days of Claudius Caesar, then the disciples, each according to his ability, determined to send relief to the brethren dwelling in Judea. Those in Jerusalem would get especially hit because they're already being ostracized and boycotted and really besieged, ultimately, by the Romans. Not to mention their own neighbors. So prophets come and tell them, things are going to get hard for all of us. Help your neighbors simple message. We can't be prepared to withstand the trials or to help others if we aren't listening to, speaking, or heeding the warnings. And that's where I and those who are listening to the Lord have been lately. The remnant is alive and well and fighting for the lives and for the church. The well part may be debatable, 
But in the end, God always prevails, even in spite of us. And I've been feeling compelled by the Spirit, especially in this last season of stepped-up oppression and darkness, to keep warning the church to keep fighting, to stay awake and not give up or go quietly into the night. But when I'm preaching these things, I'm not just talking to you in the room here. This goes out in the blog. This goes out on the web. I have hundreds of followers, various media outlets out there. So I'm talking to the church. I'm not just berating you. I'm talking the church. And I try my best to speak what the Spirit gives me to speak. I'm not perfect. I don't think everything I say is from God. I sure try to make it so. Try to remember what the Lord said and heed the Spirit. Speak from the heart. And I've been feeling compelled, like I said, to keep encouraging the church to stay awake, to keep fighting, to keep standing. Because it's getting harder and harder. And frankly, it's exhausting and a little discouraging. Because it is hard to kick against the goads. But that's my issue to rescue with my issue to wrestle with right now. We all need to remember the word of the Lord and who it is that calls, equips, and empowers us and the victory that we have in him. Then I remembered the word of the Lord. Well, great, Peter. That's kind of your job, right? Then I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. We were washed by the blood in the water and immersed in his spirit. We had to keep our heads up and keep remembering the darkness from which we were lifted by his love and mercy, never surrendering, never hiding for shame or allowing our voices to be silenced by anyone. And that's what the first and most important amendment to the Constitution of this blessed nation was all about. And as we celebrate the signing of the Declaration that founded this nation under God on this very day, July 4th, we need to remember and fight for that as well, or it will just become another holiday where we drink beer and go to picnics, where somebody might ask, what are we celebrating? And no one will know. Because we're not allowed to talk about it or teach it any know, anymore. And the churches will just become places for flea markets and nostalgic weddings. As much as I would like to, I know I can't be silent. Because Jeremiah keeps dogging me, for one thing. If I say I'll no longer speak in his name, there is in my heart as it were a burning fire shut up within my bones. I'm weary from holding it in. Indeed, I cannot. And that's the thing about being baptized, being filled with the Holy Spirit. He won't leave you alone. Which is a good thing. Because by myself, I'm not any good to anybody, including myself. I let God have the last word. Almost the last word. His words to Peter. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. You are anything but common. Don't let them tell you. You tell them. No, let me tell you. This is how it is. This is the word of God. This is what God's doing. This is what the Holy Spirit says. Then he wants nothing more than to silence us. But if we remember God's word, if we remember God's word, we always have the last word. We have the power to stop the argument, to silence the voices of accusation and slander. We are a Christian. And when they heard these things, they became silent. And they glorified God. <laughs>